0: Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show.
2: Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us this afternoon. Today we're going to talk with the stream's Rachel Alexander on whether there's an Ivanka um, server gate, much like uh, there was a, a Clinton server gate, or the roughly equivalent. Um, in terms of using a private server for government business. We'll talk with uh, Rachel about that. We're also going to talk with Stephen Mosher. He's the president of the Population Research Institute and an internationally recognized authority on China. He's the author of numerous books on the subject, among them Broken Earth, The Rural China, A Mother's Ordeal, One Woman's Fight Against China's One Child Policy and Others. We're going to talk about the trade war between the United States and China and the meeting of the two nation's presidents to talk about ending that war, which uh, we're being told is a possibility at the G20 summit this weekend. So we'll get into that and much more. First, taking a look at some of the developing news stories of the day, the Department of Justice is sending more agents to the southern border after last weekend's clash between migrant caravan members and authorities. In addition, Mexican officials are raising growing concerns about the potential health risks among the migrant caravans. Special counsel Robert Mueller's hardball tactics with investigation targets, Trump supporters and witnesses are fueling concern about his probe at a critical time, some critics say. Meanwhile, conservative author Jerome Corsi has instructed his lawyers to file a complaint against Mueller's special counsel and the Justice Department. And Stormy Daniels says she's described as an adult entertainer, but I wouldn't describe it that way. i Think it's anything but adult, but nonetheless, she says her attorney Michael Avenatti filed a defamation suit against President Trump without her permission. And former CBS head Les Moonves, who stepped down in September amid sexual misconduct allegations, faces new accusations in a report filed uh, late last night. First Lady Melania Trump fires back at critics of her White House Christmas decorations. Really? We have critics of the Christmas decorations. You like them, you don't. You just move on. Put up your own decorations, things that you like. It does get exhausting, I must say. Well, the Department of Justice is dispatching more assets to the southern border, responding to a call for help from Homeland Security. Senior DOJ officials say that the headquarters is sending 33 DEA agents and 10 U.S. Marshals Service personnel to the southern California border. A region where migrant caravan members clashed with border agents over the weekend after rushing a U.S. port of entry. The Trump administration has referred to the situation on the southern border as a crisis. I think the mayor in Tijuana might do the same. And in recent weeks, set in motion a massive movement of personnel and equipment to areas traditionally susceptible to illegal border crossings. National Guard troops have been providing support at the border for months, and thousands of active duty military troops were dispatched in the. La- 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 stage as key cooperation efforts seek to break down. I'm not sure this is any more critical as it has been before in that we have no idea when the probe is drawing to a close, when a report is due, uh, and so on. And there's been um, critique from the very beginning. But just this week, conservative author Jerome Corsi, he balked at a plea deal after complaining the Mueller team wanted him to admit to lying, which he claims he did not, only after he couldn't give them what they wanted. He tweeted on Wednesday he now plans to pursue a complaint against Mueller's team. Uh, Mueller's team further has accused ex-Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort of violating his plea agreement by lying to investigators, with reports his cooperation agreement was not panning out how prosecutors had hoped. More information also has come to light about the nature of those Mueller men Uh, Manafort interactions as it emerged that Manafort's legal team had been briefing Trump's team about their discussions. The briefings reportedly fueled tensions with Mueller's investigators, though it was already known that the president's and Manafort's legal teams have a joint defense agreement, meaning they share information. It's actually a formal uh, setup. And Stormy Daniels claimed Wednesday that her attorney, Michael Avenatti, sued President Trump for defamation without her approval and launched a second fundraising campaign to raise money without her permission or even her knowledge. And uh, attributing words to me that I never wrote or said. Well, in a statement to the Daily Beast, Daniel said that Avenatti has been a great advocate in many ways. However, she added, in other ways, Michael has not treated me with the respect and deference an attorney should show a client. Avenatti responded with a... Um, Statement obtained by um, news outlets, I am and I have always been Stormy's biggest champion. I have personally sacrificed an enormous amount of money, time and energy toward assisting her because I believe in her. I have always been an open book with Stormy as to all aspects of her cases. And she knows that you need only look back at her numerous prior interviews where she states we talk and communicate multiple times every day about her cases. Well, apparently that is, according to her, no longer the case. Unless Les Moonves, the former CBS head who resigned earlier this year, uh, was hit with new accusations by an actress in a uh, report Wednesday. The alleged encounter between he and the actress, Bobby Phillips, took place in March of 1995 after her talent agent set up a meeting, according to The New York Times. The actress went to the Warner Brothers studio in Burbank, Calif- uh, Burbank California, for her sit down with Moonves, who reportedly said, He'd um, set her up with John Levy, the casting director for the television show ER. At the time of the meeting, Moonves was president of Warner Brothers Television. He reportedly left a message for her before directing Phillips to an easel that outlined various projects going on at the company. Phillips claimed that Times, uh, to the Times rather that when she uh, turned around uh, to look at him, she realized that he had done what he should not have done. We'll leave it at that. First Lady Melania Trump brushed off criticism of her latest White House Christmas decorations and invited everyone to check them out in person during an appearance at Liberty University on Wednesday. It's the 21st century and everybody has different tastes. I think they look fantastic, the First Lady said at a town hall discussion on America's opioid crisis. I hope everybody will come over and visit, she said, as the crowd erupted in applause. In real life, They look uh, even more beautiful. You're all very welcome to visit the White House. Well, a variety of mainstream media outlets, who apparently have nothing else to do, bashed the First Lady's decor when they were revealed on Monday. Many watchdogs came to her defense, noting that negative feedback was simply an example of hypocrisy from reporters who aren't fans of President Trump. And on this day in 2017, host Matt Lauer, New York, Navy defeats Army 24 to 0. On behalf of my... Uh, near-naval captain nephew. Congratulations to the Navy. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but uh, we'll be back uh, later this hour. We'll talk with Rachel Alexander about uh, whether or not Ivanka's use of a private email is equivalent to Hillary Clinton's use of a private server. Neither should have happened, but we'll kind of try to balance them out. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show.
0: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. 21 minutes after 4 o'clock is our time. Coming up in our next segment, we're going to talk about emails and where they're sent from and where those accounts reside. Ivanka versus Hillary, I suppose, is one way to put it. We'll get into that with um, The Stream's Rachel Alexander in our next segment. Well, President Trump announced that he's nixing a meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin at the uh, G20 summit in Argentina tomorrow in the wake of the seizure of Ukrainian ships and crews in the Black Sea by Russia. Based on the fact that the ships and sailors have not been returned to Ukraine from Russia, I have decided... It would be best for all parties concerned to cancel my previously scheduled meeting in Argentina with President Vladimir Putin. The president tweeted, I look forward to a meaningful summit again as soon as the situation is resolved. Well, the president said, um, told The Washington Post, rather, that he may not meet with Putin in Buenos Aires after Russian forces fired on Ukrainian naval vessels and seized their crews as they were sailing through the Kirch Strait near Crimea. I'm getting a report on that tonight. He's since seen it, made the announcement he does not intend to meet. He later told the Post that, I don't like that aggression. White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders on Wednesday said the Trump administration is receiving regular briefings on the Russia-Ukraine situation from national security uh, advisors. Meanwhile, Sunday's uh, straight crisis, Ukraine um, crisis in Kirch, um, in the straight there, uh, unders- underscored, rather, how quickly Russia's uh, simmering 4.5-year-old low-intensity war against Ukraine could escalate into an historic catastrophe. Yesterday, we were close to war. In fact, war happened. One captain, the Ukrainian Navy's deputy chief of staff for Euro-Atlantic integration, uh, said on Sunday, Russian ships fired on and captured three Ukrainian naval vessels approaching the Kersh Strait, a narrow waterway that connects the Black Sea to the Sea of Azov. Russian forces reportedly took 24 Ukrainian crew members prisoner um, during the maritime confrontation. Russia has already tried some of the uh, captured Ukrainians as criminals. As of uh, yesterday, Ukraine's army forces remain on full alert. Martial law went into effect on Wednesday morning in 10 Ukrainian regions bordering Russia's territory, as well as along the country's Black Sea and Azov Sea coastlines. Again, things could escalate very quickly. Life expectancy in the United States declined again in 2017, the government said in a um, bleak series of reports that showed a nation still in the grip of escalating drug and suicide crises. Well, the data continued the longest sustained decline in life expectancy span at birth in the century and appalling performance not seen in the United States since 1915 through 1918. That four-year period included World War I and a flu pandemic that killed 675,000 people in the U.S. and perhaps 50 million worldwide. Public health and demographic experts reacted with alarm to the release of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's annual statistics, which are considered a reliable barometer of a society's health. In most developed nations, life expectancy has marched steadily upward for decades. But that has not been the case here. Joshua Scharfstein, vice dean of the public health practice and community engagement at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, says, I think this is a very dismal public uh, picture of public health in the United States. Life expectancy is improving in many places in the world. It shouldn't be declining in the United States. Well, after three years of stagnation and decline, what do we do now? Asked a uh, Uh, professor of population health and geography at Harvard's T.H. Chan School of Public Health, do we say that this is new normal, or can we say this is a um, tractable problem? Well, overall, Americans could expect to live 78.6 years uh, at birth in 2017, down a tenth of a year from the 2016 estimate, according to the CDC's National Center for Health Statistics. Men could anticipate a lifespan of 76.1 years, down a tenth of a year from 2016. Life expectancy for women in 2017 was 81.1 years, Unchanged from the previous year. Well, drug overdoses set another annual record in 2017, cresting at 70,237, up from 63,000 the year before, the government said in a companion report. The opioid epidemic continued to take a relentless toll, with 47,600 deaths in 2017 from drugs sold on the streets, such as fentanyl and heroin, as well as prescription narcotics. That was also a record number, driven largely by an increase in fentanyl deaths. Since 1999, the number of drug overdose deaths has more than quadrupled. Deaths attributed to opioids were nearly six times greater in 2017 than they were in 1999. Deaths from illegal painkillers did not increase in 2017. There were 14,495 overdose deaths attributed to narcotics, such as oxycodone and hydrocodone, and 3,194 from methadone, which is used as a painkiller. Those totals were virtually identical to the numbers in 2016. The number of heroin deaths also did not rise from the previous year. Chief of the Mortality Statistics branch of the Center for Health Statistics, Robert Anderson, said the leveling off of the prescription drug deaths may reflect a small impact from efforts in recent years to curb the diversion of legal painkillers to users and dealers on the street. Those measures include prescription drug monitoring programs that help prevent substance abusers from obtaining multiple prescriptions by doctor shopping. But still, it's a grim statistic Indicating that there, our society generally is not as healthy as it once was and as it should be. Others noted uh, programs that may also be, have helped the overdose antidote um, uh, Naloxone. Uh, has been made more uh, widely available in many places. Rhode Island has made efforts to educate substance abusers as they leave jail, a time when they're particularly vulnerable to overdose. And Vermont and other states have uh, bolstered treatment programs, states that have expanded their Medicaid programs, are also able uh, to offer more treatment to users. Still, this is a disappointing and sad statistic. Well, I want to remind you that tonight uh, the Singing Christmas Tree will resume its final performance weekend uh, tonight at 7.30 at the Keller Auditorium. There will be a performance again tomorrow night, Friday night at 7.30 at the Keller Auditorium. And then on Saturday, there's a matinee at 2 and an evening performance at 7. On Sunday, the final performance of the 56th Portland Singing Christmas Tree will uh, take place at 1 o'clock p.m. Tickets are on sale now. You can call the uh, uh, the office at 503-557-8733 to secure your tickets. And as we mentioned in an interview a few days ago, all the ticket prices have been reduced across the board. So make note of that, 503-557-8733. You can also go online at org. I'll be racing away from the studio here this evening and making my way over for our uh, performance. And I hope to see many of you there. I try to make it, Dan Rice and I both try to make it out into the lobby uh, after the performance to greet the audience. And if you happen to be there and you see me, I'll be, I guess I'm in costume at that time. Anyway, do stop, uh, stop by and say hello. I'd love to meet you or say hello again, if that's the case. But again, you can go to singingchristmastree.org, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and the Singing Christmas Tree will be a memory. All right. Coming up, we're going to talk with The Stream's Rachel Alexander. She has written a piece on Ivanka Trump and whether or not the use of a private server uh, is equivalent to uh, Hillary Clinton's use of a private server. She points out some differences between the two, even though Ivanka Trump should not have used a private server at all to do government business. There are some distinctions. We'll point them out and you can draw your own conclusions. Twenty nine minutes after four o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show.
0: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show Podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: We're back 35 minutes after four o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, during the 2016 presidential campaign, Donald Trump called his opponent Crooked Hillary for using a personal email account to send hundreds of government-related emails. His supporters chanted, lock her up at his rallies. Well, now his daughter and advisor Ivanka is under criticism for using a personal email account to send hundreds of government-related emails. And the president's opponents have jumped on him Uh, conservatives have defended him. And the question my next guest poses in her column in the stream is, who's right? Are there inescapable parallels? Are they roughly equivalent? Well, we're going to take a look at it. Rachel Alexander, who writes for the stream, joins us to talk about just that. Thanks so much for joining us and welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me on again. Well, I think everybody remembers Crooked Hillary and Lock Her Up, and now accusations that Ivanka Trump has used a private personal email account to do government business. Uh, essentially, let's talk about the, the parallels. Are there similarities between what the two women did while serving their country?
3: There are similarities, but they are very minuscule compared to the differences. Um, the similarities are, yes, they did both use a personal email address to conduct government business. But, the you know, the differences are so much bigger. Hillary used classified information over emails. She sent 62,000-plus emails emails that she sent or received versus Ivanka Trump's a few hundred. And Ivanka Trump's were, you know, mainly to like do scheduling and things like that, you know, when she was in a transition period into becoming an advisor to the president in official capacity.
2: Well, let's let's talk about what is permitted and what's not permitted. I think most of us we're aware of the controversy but may not understand what's wrong with using a private uh, email account as opposed to using the government account for any business when you're serving.
3: Yeah, well, the Presidential Records Act requires that all official White House communications and records be preserved. So these emails are required to be preserved and not on, like, some personal account, you know, which is unaccountable and not very secured, um, but that is a requirement by law that you are supposed to keep all these emails you know indefinitely you know they 're going to be kept in the White House records you know d- department forever and so Hillary violated a lot by sixty two thousand emails she kept outside of that because she never even had a government email account at least Ivanka Trunk had a government email account
2: so there are two important things that you 've mentioned one is that you 're required to use the The system that the the government provides. The other one is that your emails have to be retained for posterity. And uh, those are two major issues here. Now, let's talk about what Ivanka Trump did and when these uh, private emails uh, doing government business were were, uh, sent.
3: Yeah, I mean, basically, Ivanka Trump sent a few hundred. That's all we're talking about, emails. They were mainly when she was transitioning between, you know, a private party until she became an official advisor to the president, which she's still not paid. But, you know, at that point, she should, you know, move over to her government account. So she did mostly move over her emails to a government account. But a lot of people, you know, they kept emailing at her old personal account. I've had that happen. I worked for a government Official before you know people are so used to your personal account they still keep emailing you, and most of these emails and I've heard nothing to contradict this had to do with oh this is my travel arrangements or oh this is where you're gonna babysit my kids blah 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 they had nothing to do with official government business they were like um, what's the word we use as government officials you know. Um, There's a a word for stuff where you are allowed to use government um, emails for just minuscule stuff that is not related to official government business.
2: Now, one of the things that um, Hillary said when she was first exposed as having um, bleach bit some of her emails or lost them or whatever, she first of all said that she had turned them all over um, and then that um, they were not a good number of them were not retained, which is required by law. Let's talk about what Hillary um, was accused of having done, what we now know that she uh, did with regard to her emails involving government business.
3: Yeah, well, what she did when she was, you know, caught is she turned over a couple thousand emails to the State Department and said, oh, these emails were sent from my personal email account, not my official government account because I never even had one. And after that, they found thirty thousand more emails that she had not turned over. And and of those thirty thousand emails, she had tried to permanently delete them so they could never be recovered. She used a program called BleachBit to permanently delete them so they could never be restored.
2: And that's a violation of the law. Now, uh, again, you're required by law when you're serving in government to retain those emails. She failed to do that. She attempted to um, completely destroy those that that um, were ultimately discovered. One hundred and ten. I'm quoting from your column here. One hundred and ten of those emails contained classified information at the time they were sent or received. uh, And of those, 22 were top secret, the highest classification uh, level. So as far as we know, Ivanka Trump had no classified information in her emails.
3: No, and she turned over all of her emails for people to look over. Um, I think by now, if there had been any classified information in there, it would have come out. Um, uh, Ivanka Trunk has been more than forthcoming, and I, I got to say, you know, when it comes to breaking this Presidential Records Act, that might not be a felony, but when it comes to um, getting rid of classified information or you know releasing it that you are not un- that you are not authorized to do that is a felony. Hillary committed felonies. We don't have any evidence yet that Ivanka committed felonies.
2: Now, we know that um, Hillary Clinton had a private server in her bathroom at home, and she set up email addresses on her private server uh, for two of her aides as well. Uh, Her email account wasn't secured as a government email is supposed to be. Her server wasn't secured. And Guccifer, who's uh, a Romanian hacker, has indicated that he, she... um, actually hacked her account on several occasions. Now, this is a violation of the, the act that you just references referenced, rather, and yet there were no charges brought against her.
3: Oh, don't even get me started. As you know, there is a double standard. If you're a powerful politician in power or, you, you know, we're in power, so you still have, you know, substantial connections, they're not going to go after you because, you know, the Clintons know how to, like, you know, ruin anyone who comes after them. So I think that the people in power are scared to go after the Clintons. They're scared to go after Hillary Clinton.
2: Well, I should also mention that she, Hillary Clinton, signed an affidavit in 2015. She swore that she had turned over all copies of government records from her time in office. The FBI later found several thousand work-related emails that weren't turned over Uh, to the State Department. Now, it was foolish for both women to use a private server. I suppose when you're transitioning, that's more of a challenge than probably you or I could imagine. So the bottom line is you shouldn't use a private server to do government business. But these are not equivalent in terms of the level of offense.
3: No, because Hillary was transferring classified emails. And she had a private, unsecured server set up in her bathroom. I like how you put that, (laughs) or basement, whatever. You know, Ivanka never even used a private server. All of her emails are out on, I, I think it's GoDaddy where she hosted her email. So anybody could hack into her emails at GoDaddy and get them. So there's a huge difference right there in that, you know, Hillary was keeping all this secret stuff to herself on an unsecured server and it was classified information, and Ivanka never was using classified information, which would be
2: a felony. Now, it's, it's puzzling to many of us because the FBI, who looked into this, presumably, in 2016, uh, to bring charges against Hillary determined that she was merely extremely careless and not criminal, and no charges uh, were filed. Uh, that's a bit puzzling, as I mentioned, and I know that Democrats are gearing up to uh, take Ivanka to, to task on the use of a private um, email account, um, on what grounds might they do that, given what the FBI has already uh, determined in a case that has much greater grievance?
3: They can't. That's where this gets really interesting because um, Democrats have already said they're going to look into Ivanka and her husband, who also used the private email account a few times. They're going to be looking into both of them, but what can they do when they've just turned the other cheek at, you know, what happened with, um Hillary and her you know indiscretions which were so much worse
2: well, we know that representative Elijah Cummings has uh, called for an FBI investigation of uh, Ivanka and her husband Jared we'll see where this goes but you're right it's very difficult under these circumstances which are much narrower than uh, in Clinton's case to press charges it, it would maybe bring the case back up of Hillary Clinton whose violation of the law was uh, was quite clear well we don't know everything I suppose at this point but I appreciate your helping to clarify what Ivanka Trump is uh, being charged with having done and, and how that compares with what Hillary Clinton we know did.
3: Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh-huh.
2: Bye bye. Well, it uh, certainly doesn't exonerate any member of the government from using a private email account. And one would think, now, you know, I'm sitting here in Portland, Oregon, behind a desk, you would think, after all of the attention focused, especially by the then candidate, now President Donald Trump, on the use of a private survey, you would have thought that that might have um, made uh, individuals within his cabinet far more uh, careful about the use of a private email. Um, But, you know, who knows? We're just beginning to hear some of this. And as I mentioned, there's going to be some investigation going on, along with the other dozens and dozens of other investigations that are preventing lawmakers from doing the people's work. Well, one can only hope. This can be resolved quickly. And my understanding is Ivanka Trump is no longer using a private email server or a private email account different than a server. Let's hope that is the case. 46 minutes after four o'clock. Quick break. We'll be back to talk with Stephen Mosier, president of the Population Research Institute and a recognized authority on China.
0: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: We're back 51 minutes after four o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We all know by now that President Trump canceled his meeting with Vladimir Putin as he headed to the G20 summit, but many are anticipating his meeting with President Xi to talk about the trade war between the United States and China. We're here to talk with us about that negotiation and the importance of it. Stephen Mosier is president of the Population Research Institute and an internationally recognized authority on China. He's also the author of numerous books on China, among them Broken Earth, The Rural Chinese, A Mother's Ordeal a woman's or one woman's fight against China's one child policy and hegemon uh, China's plan to dominate Asia and the world. And his latest uh, is also a great book, Bully of Asia. Thank you so much for joining us today. Are you with us? Dr. Mosier? I'm not sure why I'm not hearing our guests. Are you there? I am. Yeah. Okay, now I can hear you. I'm, I apologize I wasn't able to hear you before. Well, the um the trade war as it's being called um between the United States and China continues and President Trump is going to meet with and perhaps resolve the issue over this weekend during the G20 summit. First of all, let me ask you to comment a comment on this trade war as it exists under this administration in which the Trump administration had the gall to point out where China was taking advantage of the United States and for that matter, other companies as well, countries as well.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, for the first time in 20 years, we have a president who's really uh, standing up to China's cheating. I mean, uh, China entered the World Trade Organization in 2001, uh, promising to open its markets, promising to allow American companies to compete on equal terms with Chinese companies, uh, promising to uh, you know, enforce contracts and not violate intellectual property laws. Uh, none of those things it has actually done. It is. It has been violating the rules of the World Trade Organization from the beginning, and, of course, uh, taking advantage of America's open markets for the last 20 years. I mean, over the last two decades, Beijing, because it violates the uh, the world trading order, has orchestrated the biggest transfer of wealth in human history, which Americans will be unhappy to learn, is from the United States to China. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, the trade deficit. It's the theft of intellectual property. It's it's all of the, the cyber cyber intrusions that we see. It's the forced transfer of technology from American companies. It's forcing American companies that do do business in China to hand over their technology, and after which, of course, they're squeezed back out of China. So, I mean, this has gone on for far too long. Much of this wealth, by the way, has wound up in the pockets of the Communist Party elite and their extended families and their cronies. So it hasn't been good uh, for the Chinese people so much as it's been good uh, for the political elite in that country.
2: Now, this has been tolerated for many years because uh, the West wants to have access to Chinese markets. It's amazing that President Trump says he's not going to tolerate it. And in fact, making comments about the G70 uh, summit in which he'll meet with President Xi uh, this weekend, he said that, you know, we may be able to resolve this. But if not, I'm happy with the way it is, making the point that we're willing to stick it out. uh, It's not going to damage the United States nearly as much as it will ultimately damage China. Your thoughts?
1: Well, you know, I've, I've studied tariffs, and, and what's happening in China now is, is uh, these first tariffs, four-fifths of the cost of the tariffs are being borne by uh, the Chinese government. So only one-fifth is, is being passed along to American consumers. So it is true that the big loser uh, in the tariff war so far has has been China, uh, not the United States. And so everybody who cried, the sky is falling, you know, we're going to destroy both of our economies by getting into an unwinnable trade war. Uh, We're winning. I mean, people need to understand we're winning. Factories are coming back to the United States, and factories are leaving China. That's why Beijing, that's why Xi Jinping is getting increasingly desperate. Factories are leaving China. You know, uh, Apple makes all of its products in China for the most part, but seven Apple suppliers are now moving their factories from China back to Taiwan, to the Philippines, to Vietnam, to India. Uh, they're even considering coming back to the United States. So you know, this this hemorrhaging of factories and jobs from China will continue unless China stops its rampant cheating. So I think they've got they've got a lot more on the line than we do. I mean, Trump is actually threatening uh, Xi Jinping's China dream. You know, the the idea that that his grand strategy of dominating high tech by 2025 and dominating the world by mid-century, uh, you know, that 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 won't happen if if Trump stays the course. So. I, I hope he does.
2: What do you anticipate will happen at this G20 summit when the two leaders meet?
1: Well, I think uh, I was really happy last month um, because the Chinese finally agreed to put something in writing. You know, they they want to talk forever because every day they talk, they're earning another billion dollars in in uh, you know in 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 uh, the trade deficit and the trade war. Um, because it's so much in their favor, so they would talk this thing to death. They would be willing to talk into the next century, but they finally put uh, a response in writing to our demands. They they wrote down a list of 142 things that they're willing to talk about, negotiate on. Uh, but we shouldn't get into endless talks. I'm hoping that what we have, uh, I, I'm hoping that what we have is is a an agreement with China that will consist of a promise by Beijing to reduce its trade surplus with the United States by 200 billion dollars. By the year 2020 now it'll be easy for china to do that because china can simply order its state-owned companies to purchase more american goods and services so who's going to benefit american exporters of energy and agricultural products heavy equipment passenger planes all of those guys will get a big boost and we'll be able to make sure uh because the department of commerce will be watching uh, that the actual value of the shipments going to china is 200 billion dollars uh china's already partly on board with that you know we demanded that China do that back in 2017 last year. We said, reduce the trade deficit by $200 billion. They said, well, maybe we can reduce it by $70 billion. So, you know, this was rejected by Trump as insufficient. But I think that she, who's getting desperate, uh, will come back to the table and, and we'll see a, a big reduction of the trade deficit, a big boost in China's purchase of American-made goods. So I think something's good going to come out of these negotiations, this dinner between she and Trump. I I don't know that we'll hear about it immediately after the dinner, but I think before January 1st, when the new round of tariffs kicks in, I think we're going to reach some sort of Mm -hmm. compromise on this. It won't solve all of our problems. I mean, this isn't a free trade agreement, for goodness sake. This will be the very opposite of a free trade agreement, but you can't have a free trade agreement with a country that has no rule of law, that doesn't respect intellectual property rights, that's run by a corrupt one-party dictatorship. You can manage the trade. Uh, but it won't be free trade, but it'll be the best that we can do with this big government.
2: Well, let me ask you about intellectual property, because that's a major concern as well. In order for Xi to reach his goal, it's going to require that the theft of intellectual property continue at pace. Is that also likely to be uh, discussed in a meaningful way that will – and is it possible for us to protect our intellectual property? I was just listening to a conversation earlier today about uh, vetting uh, Chinese students who come to the United States more thoroughly – uh, in an effort to try to, uh, stem the tide.
1: Yeah. You know, they're, they're China may promise, uh, to do those kinds of things. Uh, but, but we can't expect it to keep its promises. Uh, after all, uh, they promised before that they'll stop stealing our intellectual property. They promised president Obama. Uh, they didn't stop their cyber attacks for one day. In fact, their cyber attacks have intensified, um, they're not going to, to uh, you know, stop putting the uh, strong-arming uh, foreign companies in China to turn over their technology. So on that front, we've got to get a lot smarter in terms of protecting our own intellectual property. And the good news is that we're, we're starting to do that. You know, we have uh, stood up a new cybersecurity division in the Department of Homeland Security, which will help U.S. companies become much better at defeating cyber attacks and protecting their intellectual property. Uh, We're restricting Chinese investment in and and loans to companies with sensitive technology. And and I think a big thing that we're doing, and this is kind of under the radar, Eugene, uh, we're working with Japan and the EU, the big free market economies of the world, to draft new rules for the World Trade Organization. These new rules will deal with uh, countries like like China that give subsidies to high-tech industries, which is China's 2025 plan. It'll deal with China's practice of forcing foreign companies to transfer cutting-edge technology. And once the new rules are in place, China may very well find itself being ejected from the World Trade Organization if it continues to cheat. I think it'll continue to cheat uh, if if it's forced out of the World Trade Organization by the combined might of all of the free market economies of the world. That will solve the trade deficit once and for all, I guarantee you. Hmm. That's Hmm. the long-term plan. But we've got now... Finally, after 25 years of China's cheating, we have a whole of government response to China, the China threat. Uh, We have the vice president uh, pointing out uh, that he's that America is going to contain Beijing's uh, effort to build an empire and its aggressive acts. So we're really responding for the first time to to what uh, China's been doing now for a quarter century.
2: Well, uh, I'm hopeful at least, but we'll certainly be watching with interest. Stephen Mosier, thank you so much for talking with us today.
1: Thank you, Georgine.
2: Appreciate it very much. Again, Stephen Mosier is the president of the Population Research Institute and an internationally recognized authority on China. News and traffic up next. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show.
0: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. James Vlend is producing and engineering Today's program. Well, as you know, the G20 summit is going on now, and most of those G20 countries have been very critical of the United States because they haven't met the climate change standards that they believe the United States should. What you may not know is that most of those G20 countries who criticize the United States aren't meeting their own climate goals. Well, that government report on climate change certainly set tongues a-wagging in the mainstream media. Um, Man-made climate change was the reason for the wildfires in California, we've been told. Coastal flooding, too many hurricanes, a lack of hurricanes, and Kanye West wearing the MAGA hat. It's all been attributed to global climate change. And the worst part of it is that we don't even have a plan to deal with it, having refused to join the Paris Accord. That's what we've been hearing. Well, why can't we be more like Europe? They're all on board with fighting emissions and saving the planet But the question is, are they really? A new study reveals that almost all of the other G20 nations are actually not doing nearly enough and are missing their own goals. That's according to Time magazine. Three years ago, world leaders from nearly every country around the world laid out specific plans to fight climate change that included strategies that slashed their greenhouse gas emissions. Those commitments generated optimism that the world might finally address global warming and help seal the deal on the climate agreement. Well, now the majority of G20 countries, they're not following through on their own promises, according to a new report from the United Nations Environment Program. And even if countries follow through, the world would uh, fall short of limiting temperature rise of safe levels. Well, countries are not doing enough, says the UNEP official, Philip Drost, who coordinated the report. We need to. Mitigate more emissions. Well, so this United Nations report points the finger at almost everyone in the G20 and says that goals are not being met. The only exceptions are Russia, Turkey and China. Of course, Russia and Turkey set their goals so low that they could uh, be met with virtually no effort at all. And China has been notoriously deceptive in how they record and report their remissions data. So even those three are suspect, uh, by the way, including boasting about creating a vast carbon cap and trade system without signs of it producing much of... Um at least by way of production in in uh, in China. Meanwhile, what the United Nations failed to mention was that in 2017 the United States actually exceeded those uh, global goals for reducing carbon emissions and we're not a signatory on the uh, plan and of course we've been the pariah of the world ever since, but we've actually met the goal, so I'm not sure who the pariah should be. America is now the world leader in cutting carbon dioxide emissions. Yes, you heard that correctly. According to a June report by BP measuring global carbon dioxide emissions from the use of oil, gas, and coal, the United States reduced its carbon dioxide emissions by 41.8 million tons from 2016 to 2017, marking the third consecutive year Americans' carbon dioxide emissions Fail. The United States um, carbon dioxide uh, reduction is more than double the next closest nation included in the study. That's Ukraine. And the United States reductions are part of a larger decades long trend from 2006 to 2016. BP reports that the United States slashed its carbon dioxide emissions by about 12 percent. Well, U.S. oil and gas industry has cut carbon dioxide emissions faster than any other industrialized nation. And you know what else? We did it without some global consortium of nations forcing us to do it. We did it without our own government forcing us to speed up the reductions. We did it because the market likely um, is uh, likes efficiency rather, and despises waste. Cleaner drilling operations mean that less of the industry profits were literally going uh, going up in flames during flaring operations. But, hey, the United Nations, you just keep on thinking that's what you're good at. Apologies. Uh, To Butch Cassidy uh, for the Bush Cassidy reference. Anyway, most G20 countries who criticize the United States aren't meeting their own climate goals. The United States has exceeded its own. Just saying. Michael Cohen, President Trump's former personal attorney who once famously claimed he would take a bullet for his boss, pleaded guilty today for lying to Congress about a Trump real estate project in Russia in the latest development in special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation, the president swiftly fired back. He blasted Cohen as a weak person, claiming his former attorney was lying to get a reduced sentence. Well, Cohen entered a, a plea in a surprise 30 uh, minute federal court appearance in New York City on Thursday. He pled guilty to making false statements to the Senate Intelligence Committee in 2017 and a plan to build a Trump Tower in Moscow. Cohen's attorney, Lonnie Davis, was not present in court today. Instead, he was represented by attorney Guy uh, Petrillo and Amy Lusker. Well, Thursday marked the first time Mueller's uh, team charged Cohen as part of the investigation into Russian meddling and potential collusion with Trump campaign associates during the 2016 presidential election. Cohen made the false statement to minimize links between the Moscow project and individual uh, Trump and gave the false impression that the Moscow project ended before the Iowa caucus, the very first primary, in hopes of limiting the ongoing Russian investigation, Mueller wrote today. Cohen did recall that in or around January of 2016, he received a response from the office of Russian official number one. Uh, the press secretary for the president of Russia, and spoke to a member of that office about the Moscow project. Well, the plea agreement makes clear that as part of the deal, Cohen is cooperating with Mueller's team on any and all matters deemed relevant. Mueller's team wrote that Cohen will not further uh, be further prosecuted criminally by this office for the conduct or for any other false statements or for abiding, uh, aiding or abetting uh, in the obstruction of or conspiring to obstruct or commit perjury before congressional or grand jury investigations. The maximum sentence Cohen faces is five years in prison and a fine of about $250,000. After entering his plea, Cohen addressed the court for several minutes. Saying prior to the 2016 elections, I was a counsel and advisor to Donald Trump organization. By 2016, I no longer did that work, but I continued to work for Donald Trump, who became president of the United States, referenced as Individual One in the agreement. Cohen said in court today that I continued to follow the political messaging uh, of Individual One and his advisors. I was aware that individual one said he was not tied to Russia. Attacks were politically motivated and all interactions were terminated by the time of the Iowa caucuses. Cohen added that in 2017, when he appeared before the Senate Intelligence Committee, he gave a false description of the Moscow project. I asserted all efforts ceased on the in January of 2016 when they kept going until Uh, June 16, he said, there were more extensive communications. I said I never contemplated travel or spoke to individual one regarding travel, but I had. He added, I would like to add that I never did travel to Russia. I have never been to Moscow. I made the statement to keep up with political messaging and out of loyalty. Well, Cohen added that he once spoke to someone in the Kremlin for about 20 minutes. Meanwhile, as Trump departed the White House uh, Thursday for the G20 summit in Argentina, he blasted Cohen. He is a weak person and not a very smart one, Trump said. It's very simple. He's got himself a big prison sentence and he's trying to get a much lesser prison sentence by making up a story. And here's the thing. Even if he's right, I was allowed to do whatever I wanted during the campaign. Well, Trump said the primary reason he decided not to go forth with the Russian project or the Moscow project was because of his presidential run. Everybody knew about it. It was written about in newspapers. It was a well-known project, he said. If I did do it, there would have been nothing wrong. Well, Trump added that Cohen has been implicated in crimes totally unrelated to the Trump organization, having to do with mortgages and having to do with cheating the IRS. When asked why he would have someone not smart on his team for more than a decade, Trump said that it was because of a favor. Apparently, Cohen had done a favor for the president And the president was returning that favor. Well, the Wall Street Journal reported in September that Mueller had interviewed Cohen over the Trump Tower deal in Russia. Cohen told the Senate Intelligence Committee last year that the possible project was solely a real estate deal and nothing more. And it was scrapped before the Iowa caucus um, uh, and months before the first primary. Michael Cohen knowingly and willfully made a materially false, fictitious and fraudulent statement and representation to wit Cohen caused. To be submitted a written statement to SSCI containing material false statements about the Moscow project, including false statements about the timing of the Moscow project, discussions with people in the company and in Russia about the Moscow project, and contemplated travel to Russia in connection with that project, Mueller learned. Uh, Mueller's team rather wrote uh, today. Well, in August, Cohen pled guilty in a separate case and violating federal campaign finance laws by arranging hush money payments to Stormy Daniels and Playboy model Karen McDougal in the weeks leading up to the election at the direction of then-candidate Trump. Cohen has been under criminal investigation as part of a grand jury probe into his personal business dealings, including his taxi business and bank fraud since April when the FBI raided his home office and hotel room to seize a collection of documents as part of the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York's criminal probe. Well, in August, he pled guilty to five counts of tax evasion, one count of making false statements on a financial insti- to a financial institution, one count of willfully causing an unlawful corporate contribution, and one count of making an excessive campaign contribution— the excessive campaign contribution was regarding the one hundred and thirty thousand dollar payment made to Daniels, whose real name was uh, Stephanie Clifford, in the weeks leading up to the 2016 presidential election in exchange for her silence about an alleged one time encounter with candidate Trump. Well, Trump denied in April that he knew anything about Cohen's payments to Daniels, though the explanation from the president and his attorney, Rudy Giuliani, have shifted since several times. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break. We'll be back.
0: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: We're back. You're listening to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. Just prior to the break, we were talking about uh, the president's former attorney and uh, his disclosure that he provided misleading and false information to members of Congress and to the Mueller investigation, rather. And that, of course, is raising speculation that the special counsel is intensifying the focus on the commander in chief as his probe enters its final phase. Now, we assume it's entering its final phase. That's never actually been announced by the investigator. Well, Cohen's guilty plea was just the latest twist. That speaks to his scrutiny of the president. Other developments show the special counsel is honing in on everything from Trump awareness of a highly scrutinized meeting with Trump campaign associates and a Russian lawyer at Trump Tower in June of 2016 to a last minute party platform change regarding Ukraine to Trump's late night phone calls with political operative Roger Stone. But the Cohen guilty plea underscored another area of interest, a since abandoned Trump real estate deal in Russia, which Cohen said he lied about to Congress. So it continues, and this is really the tip of the iceberg when you consider uh, after the first of the year, when you have the uh, Democrats controlling the House, uh, there will be a potpourri of investigations, and uh, one would assume that the Mueller investigation would finally release its findings, and who knows where we will go as a country next. My concern is that much of the focus in Washington will be less on the people's business and more on um, the... Uh, investigation du jour. Well, President Trump said uh, yesterday that he wouldn't be opposed to a possible pardon of former campaign manager Paul Manafort. And of course, that caused his uh, opponents and critics to throw their heads back and howl even further. He called uh, Manafort brave days after special counsel Robert Mueller's office claimed he violated his plea uh, deal by lying to prosecutors. Well, during an Oval Office interview with the New York Post, the president said that a pardon for Manafort was never discussed before, but Uh, That might be a possibility. It was never discussed, but he wouldn't uh, take it off the table. Why would I take it off the table, he asked in a rhetorical question. Well, Manafort is 69. He's been convicted on multiple counts of financial fraud and work unrelated to his job with the president. He was indicted again on similar charges, but entered a plea deal with the government for a more lenient sentence. On Monday night, his office submitted, this is Mueller's office, submitted court documents alleging that Manafort violated the plea agreement by lying to prosecutors and the FBI. On a variety of subject matters, and we don't know what those subject matters are. After signing the plea agreement, Manafort committed federal crimes by lying to the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the special counsel's office on a variety of subject matters, which... Uh, constitute breaches of the agreement, his office, uh, Mueller's office, wrote. Manafort has denied these allegations. If you told the truth, you go to jail, Trump said on Wednesday, speaking of Manafort's former advisor Roger Stone and uh, conservative writer Jerome Corsi. The president claimed the special counsel asked all three men to lie, as The Post reported. You know, this uh, stuff is terrible. And he went, uh, was talking about flipping uh, witnesses. Well, the president has slammed the Russia investigation repeatedly as a witch hunt, urging Mueller to end the probe. He's recently submitted written answers to questions from Mueller's office and a CNN report on Wednesday revealed that in one response, the president denied having any knowledge about the June 2016 meeting between his son, Donald Trump Jr. and a Russian lawyer at Trump Tower. He also wrote that Stone never told him WikiLeaks intended to release information damaging to Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign. CNN added that if true, Trump's written answers would back his public claims that his campaign never colluded with Russia during the 2016 elections. Well, duh. Uh, Some sources didn't uh, didn't dispute CNN's report, adding that almost all of the information in his answers had been stated publicly by Trump at some point. Now, how CNN and other outlets have access to that information is puzzling to me, and it raises perhaps even more and uh, some serious questions about how this whole thing is being conducted. Well, the Senate on Wednesday advanced a resolution that would end U.S. military support for the Saudi-led conflict in Yemen that human rights advocates say is wreaking havoc on the country and subjecting civilians to indiscriminate bombing. Well, the procedural vote was 63-37, a rebuke to Saudi Arabia and President Trump's administration, which has issued a veto threat. Late Wednesday, the Senate agreed to postpone any further action on the resolution until next week. Well, lawmakers from both parties, they've signaled that they want to punish Saudi Arabia for its role in the murder of writer and activist Jamal Khashoggi. The U.S. isn't directly involved in the civil war, but provides assistance to the Saudi-led coalition, sort of a proxy war between the United States and Iran. And this includes uh, intelligence. Um, sharing, and weapons sales. There's been increasing scrutiny for that support in the wake of the killing of Khashoggi at the Saudi consulate in Turkey. U.S. intelligence agencies are said to have concluded that Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman may have um, at least known about the plan to kill Khashoggi, although Trump has appeared to doubt that assessment, or at least said that there is not hard evidence to support it. Well, after a a closed-door briefing with Secretary of State uh, Mike Pompeo and Defense Secretary James Mattis, um, a Fox News previously reported several senators said that they have um, uh, they were unsatisfied and likely to back the resolution to halt the u s interference. Senator Lindsey Graham told um Fox News after the vote that I changed my mind cause he said he was, well, upset. He used a different phrase. I don't agree with what they're doing. The way the administration has handled Saudi has been unacceptable. Um, briefing didn't help me uh, today at all. Yemen is just one part of the puzzle. I think we have a right to be briefed by the CIA. How can I make an informed decision if I don't have access? To intelligence, end quote. While well, emerging from the briefing, Pompeo said the vote would be poorly timed as diplomatic efforts to end the conflict are underway. The years-long war, which began with the Houthis ousted the, uh, rather after the Houthis ousted the Yemen government in 2014, has wreaked havoc upon the country and led to the bombing of civilians and devastating. A cholera outbreak in that area. Tens of thousands of people are believed to have been killed in the conflict. Two-thirds of Yemen's 27 million population rely on aid and more than 8 million are at risk of starvation. UN Security Envoy Martin Griffiths told the United Nations Security Council this month that Yemen remains the largest humanitarian disaster in the world and civilians are dying from preventable diseases as the economy remains on the verge of collapse. Well, the United States can no longer turn a blind eye to the conflict because we are a party to it. The longer we enable the conflict to continue, the more innocent men, women, and children will die. says Senator Diane Feinstein in his statement after the vote. I welcome secretary mattis's announcement that the United States will no longer relieve uh, refuel rather the coalition's aircraft but more must be done until there is a congressional authorization all us forces supporting the coalition's war should be withdrawn that's why i support the sanders lee resolution by ending our participation in this brutal war we will send an unambiguous message that we won't accept continued bloodshed so there seem to be different views backing uh, the support of this resolution some as a way of uh, uh, speaking to the saudi government to their displeasure for the death of mr Khashoggi. other Uh, Others just not supporting the notion that the Yemeni people have suffered greatly as a consequence of this proxy war um, involving uh, the United States supplying uh, the Saudi military. This was um, one of the harshest rebukes, by the way, to date of President Trump's foreign policy uh, worth noting. Well, the Internal Revenue Service recently issued the finalized tax brackets for the 2019 tax season after adjusting rates to account for inflation. The Trump administration, as you know, passed the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act at the end of 2017 that enacted a number of reforms to the U.S. tax code, including lowering income tax brackets for most individuals. Well, the IRS adjusts tax rates for inflation every year, and these changes will generally apply to tax returns filed in 2020, the 2019 tax season. Um, The agency's new method for gauging inflation, a condition of the tax reform law, will actually raise tax payments and government revenue when compared with the measure previously used, because things like the standard deduction will increase more slowly. Well, here's what the rate looks like for 2019. Individuals with incomes of ninety seven hundred dollars or less married couples with nineteen thousand four hundred dollars or less will pay zero. Individuals with incomes over $9,700 and married couples uh, with incomes more than 19400 will pay 12%. Individuals with incomes over $39,475 and married couples with more than $78,950 in income will pay at a rate of 22%. Individuals with incomes of eighty four thousand a little over that, and married couples with more than one hundred and sixty eight thousand four hundred will pay at a rate of twenty four percent and individuals with incomes over one hundred and sixty seven or i should say one hundred and sixty thousand seven hundred and twenty five dollars and married couples with more than three hundred and twenty nine thousand dollars will pay at a rate of thirty two percent Individuals with incomes over two hundred and four thousand, and married couples with more than four hundred and eight thousand dollars uh, in income, will pay at thirty-five percent rate. And individuals uh, with five hundred and ten thousand or a little over, and married couples uh, over six hundred and twelve thousand, will pay at a rate of thirty-seven uh, percent. Well, the standard deduction for married couples uh, rises to twenty-four thousand four hundred dollars. For individuals, it increased to $12,200. That's up $400 and $200, respectively. And for individuals with the alternative minimum tax, uh, for individuals, the exemption uh, amount for tax year 2019 is $71,700, and it phases out at $510,300. And for married couples, the exemption is um, uh, not too, uh, too far off. Uh, but goes all the way up to a million twenty. Well, for taxpayers filing jointly with at least three children in the 2019 tax season, the earned income tax credit raises to $6,557. So that gives you just a brief um, overview of the changes in the tax code and what percentage you are likely to pay as a consequence of those new tax changes. All right, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Zero Rest. We'll be back in a moment.
0: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: We're back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, Linda Vester is a former NBC correspondent and former Fox News anchor. And on Wednesday, she said that NBC News' culture of sexual misconduct against women has barely changed in the year since the network fired Matt Lauer. With a cloud of disturbing harassment claims, Vester said on Tucker Carlson Tonight that NBC's response was neither thorough nor honest. The truth wasn't in there, she told Carlson, noting that NBC management cared more about the bottom line rather than the women who work there. They published results of the so-called investigation, but the truth wasn't in there, Vester said, because at least six women, at least six women victimized by Matt Lauer, according to them, telling uh, her personally or people uh, close to them, telling her personally, were never interviewed. They had damaged details um, about Lauer and others in management who alleged, uh, allegedly protected him. Nothing happened. They weren't spoken to properly. They were there are four members on air talent who worked closely with Matt who were never interviewed. They too had important information, and I believe the network knew it, not only implicated Matt, but implicated other men in positions of power at NBC News. That never got investigated. There's been a question of why NBC Universal released a highly anticipated internal report on Lauer that found no evidence of wrongdoing by NBC News leadership. The network has been criticized for keeping the investigation in House, while other media organizations have hired outside firms to investigate similar allegations. Well, Vester also alleged that she knows about two victims of misconduct um, from the 1980s by NBC News chairman Andy Lack. She questioned whether this uh, bombshell is the reason behind NBC's smoke screen. The network did not immediately respond to questions about Her claims Vester wrote in a commentary that NBC News may have conducted a limited culture review, but I continue to hear from women working there that harassment still goes unpunished, that they still face uh, intimidation and that they still fear for their careers. If they complain, this should not be surprising because NBC has seemingly done nothing more than take empty steps, custom built for press releases. Well, as um, has been reported previously, 12 NBC employees claim that they were victims of sexual harassment by Lauer, who was fired in November of 2017. I won't uh, mention the things that he is uh, accused of doing because they are disgusting, but another um, uh, few have were never actually interviewed. Lauer has uh, remained mostly mum following the allegations. Vester said the issue with NBC needs to be dealt with. Uh, at the very top, by the board of directors of Compa- uh, Comcast, rather, which owns NBC Universal, they are directors of a publicly traded company. They are answerable to shareholders and the public. Uh, this is a broadcaster that is regulated by the FCC. So, these board of directors, they cannot get away with burying their heads in the sand. These are real women whose lives and careers and reputations are destroyed. They can't ignore them. Well. It goes on from there, but apparently this being the one-year anniversary of the release of Matt Lauer, the firing of Matt Lauer, uh, it's sad to hear that uh, the culture there has not been adequately addressed, according to this former employee. We learned that the Oregon Department of Transportation will submit an application for the continued development of tolling on Interstate 5 and 205 in the Portland area to the Oregon Transportation Commission. I guess we don't really get a vote on this. The application will be reviewed at a meeting in Salem uh, on the 6th of this of next month. If approved, the application will then be submitted to the Federal Highway Administration. According to ODOT, the application describes the plan to further evaluate tolls on I-5 between North Going Street and Alberta Street and Southwest Multnomah Boulevard in Portland, a seven-mile stretch of road. ODOT says tolling here could reduce congestion and help finance safety improvements in the Rose Quarter, one of the most severely congested corridors in the Portland area, and a critical roadway rather for moving traded goods through Oregon. Exact limits of tolling on I-5 are still to be determined. Also, I-205 in and around the Abernathy Bridge, the exact location still to be determined. ODOT says the toll could ease congestion and finance the planned highway widening and seismic strengthening of I-205 between OR-99E and Stafford Road, uh, including the Abernathy Bridge. Well, the tolling rates and times of day have not yet been set. Now, one of the complaints, as you might recall, is from neighbors, both residents and businesses in the area, who believe that this will simply divert traffic onto surface streets uh, and wreak havoc there. We're assured, oh, that will not be the case. We'll just have to wait and see what they come up with. Well, ODOT says uh, tolling is being considered to ease congestion to raise money for future construction projects. If the tolling proposal is supported by federal officials, ODOT says uh, project refinement, environmental review, funding and construction would follow over the next several years, you don't need to get your coin purses out just yet, but uh, it appears to be coming. Well, a little after 4 a.m. on Wednesday morning, a large white truck pulled up to the Benito Juarez sports complex in Tijuana as 57 new migrants climbed out to join the more than 6,000 being sheltered there near the, San, uh, U- the U.S.-Mexico port of entry. I'm leaving it at that. That's in addition to the more than uh, 2,000 in nearly uh, nearby Nexicali who are expected to make their way toward Tijuana this week, according to local officials. You might recall I um, announced earlier this week that the uh, government there says that they're going to run out of funds. This is in the city of Tijuana. They're going to run out of funds as early as tomorrow. Now, we also heard as the new president is preparing to take office that he recognizes that this is going to be a responsibility, uh, that they will hold some uh, – of and uh, will plan to help support and undergird those local communities, but it's stressing them uh, rather significantly. At present, officials say the total number of migrants in Tijuana alone break down this way 6,062 total, uh, comprising 3,877 men, 1,027 women, 1,058 children. Uh, these migrants are tired, they're restless, they're growing frustrated by the reality. That's proving much more difficult to get across the border than they had anticipated. Some, in fact, are said to be self-deporting out of that frustration. Uh, And the uh, journey which began for most of them in Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador is also taking a physical toll. Local health officials said that more than half of them are suffering from respiratory conditions. Walking between the uh, jam-packed tents, a cacophony of coughing can be heard day and night. Uh, yet more are arriving every day, and Tijuana's local government is bearing the cost of it all. We need help. This is very costly, says a delegate from the city. Uh, this is costing us 30000 to $40,000 a day to keep these people here, and all those funds have to come from someplace place. And it's uh, municipal funds. And as I mentioned, uh, they're expecting those funds to dry up as early as this Friday. Now, the fear among Tijuana residents is that a protracted situation could ultimately lead to higher taxes to pay for it all. One delegate also lays so much of the blame on the uh, uh, on the caravan organizers who he believes sold the migrants a lot of false hope. The leaders that were promising them the great American dream aren't coming through. Uh, He added that they know they're they're going to be better off going back home. Um, Some have left approximately 80 self-deported on Tuesday, while another 98 were deported by Mexican uh, immigration officials for their involvement in Sunday's demonstrations that turned violent. Others have chosen to accept offers of temporary work and asylum from Mexico. Most are committed to the original goal as the prospects of asylum in the United States grow dimmer. Well, some migrants uh, uh, vow to cross the border regardless, legally or not. And that, of course, threatens further conflict down the road, Uh, says one. It doesn't matter. I've got no choice. I've got to work for a living. And he intends to enter the United States by whatever means may be possible. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the pro-life community. There's some leaders that met with the White House uh, recently and asked the president to sever uh, ties with Planned Parenthood in terms of funding. Also, a new CDC report indicates that some 36% of abortions are uh, involving black babies. Now, the founder of Planned Parenthood would be delighted to hear just that. Margaret Sanger had a vision as a... um, a person who despised minorities, of um, accomplishing less than that. We'll talk more about both when we return in just a few moments.
0: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ.
2: We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, on Wednesday, a group of pro life leaders visited the White House to ask the president to sever federal funding for Planned Parenthood, which receives about five hundred dollars plus millions uh, in in uh, government money every year and in 2017 was awarded precisely 543.7 million dollars. I should say 500 plus million dollars in my original statement. Well, a representative of Students for Life of America, whose president Kirsten uh, Hawkins was at the White House meeting yesterday, said that the SFLA was proactive in looking for ways to sever the Many funding streams to Planned Parenthood. The Students for Life America added that pro-life leaders are forming a consensus about the necessity of defunding Planned Parenthood, which is the nation's nation's largest abortion provider. Uh, Pro-life leaders are building consensus and laying that groundwork uh, both to keep uh, forward momentum and to hold the line on Planned Parenthood funding. Uh, they wrote in their um, a representative wrote in their publication, the March for Life and the Susan B. Anthony list were among other pro-life organizations that sent representatives to Wednesday's meeting to the White or at the White House with President Trump's officials. And although black Americans comprise 13.4 percent of the U.S. population, they account for 36 percent of the abortions in 2015, which was almost identical to the percentage of abortions that year among white Americans who make up 76.6% of the population. As the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention documented in its abortion surveillance a report in 2015, the year that we have the most recent um, figures released in November of this year, there were 124,893 white abortions, 121,829 black abortions that year, A difference of 3,064 babies killed. Again, African-Americans making up a small sliver of the population as compared to their Caucasian counterparts. The report also shows that the abortion rate among black people, 25.1%, was significantly higher than that of white people at 6.8%. Abortion rate, according to the CDC, describes the number of abortions in a certain racial or ethnic group per 1,000 women in that same group. In addition, the abortion ratio or the number of abortions per 1,000 live births within a given racial or ethnic group was much higher among black women, 390, than white women, 111. In some areas of the United States, the percentage of black women who have abortions in 2015 or had them was noticeably and disproportionately larger than the percentage of their Caucasian counterparts, Georgia, New York City, and in other places. Again, Margaret Sanger would have applauded these numbers given that she was a eugenicist, and efforts to try to separate her views from what happens today, I think, are misguided. Well, China's government ordered a halt to, or in fact today, to work by a medical team that claimed to have helped make the world's first gene-edited babies, as a group of leading scientists declare that it's still too soon to try to make permanent changes to DNA that can be inherited by future generations. Chinese vice Minister of science and technology told state broadcaster CCTV that his ministry is strong, uh, strongly opposed to the efforts that reportedly produced twin girls born earlier this month. Zhu uh, called the team's actions illegal and unacceptable and said an investigation had been ordered but made no mention of specific action taken. Researchers um, claim to have altered the DNA of the twins to try to make them resistant to infection with the AIDS virus. Mainstream scientists have condemned the experiment, and universities and government groups are investigating. His experiment uh, crossed the line—he is the name, by the way— his experiment crossed the line of morality and ethics adhered to by the academic community and was shocked and unacceptable, Zhu said— A group of leading scientists gathered in Hong Kong this week for an international conference on gene editing, the ability to rewrite the code of life to try to correct or prevent diseases, or for that matter, other things. Although the science holds promise for helping people already born and studies testing that are underway, a statement issued um, by 14-member conference leaders say it's irresponsible to try it on eggs, sperm, or embryos, except in lab research because not enough is known yet about the risks or the safety. Uh, The conference was rocked by the Chinese researchers claim to have uh, helped make the world's first gene edited babies. Conference leaders called for an independent investigation of the claim by he who spoke to the group on Wednesday as uh, international criticism of his claim mounted. There's no independent confirmation of what he says he did. He was uh, scheduled to speak again at the conference today, but he left Hong Kong. And through a spokesperson sent a statement saying, I will remain in China, my home country, and cooperate fully with all inquiries about my work. My raw data will be made available for third-party review. Well, several prominent scientists said the case showed a failure of the field of, to police itself and the need for stricter principles of regulations. It's not unreasonable to expect the scientific community to follow guidelines Uh, says David Baltimore, a Nobel laureate from California Institute of Technology, who led the panel. There already are some rules that should have been should have prevented rather what he says he did. Um, said Alta Charo, a University of Wisconsin lawyer and bioethicist and a conference organizer, I think the failure was his, not the scientific community. Well, gene editing for reproductive purposes might be considered in the future, but only when there is compelling medical need with clear understanding of risks and benefits and certain other conditions. Dr. Victor Zhao, president of the U.S. Uh, National Academy of Medicine, one of the conference sponsors. Not following those guidelines would be an irresponsible act, he went on to say. Well, other sponsors of the three-day conference are the Academy of, Scientists of uh, Sciences rather of Hong Kong, the Royal Society of the United Kingdom, and the U.S. National Academy of Sciences and U.S. National Academy Sciences. Apparently two separate organizations, one with the word of, the other Without it. In any event, there has been a thorough and uh, aggressive rebuke. I'm looking forward to Friday here on the Georgine Rice Show because we will do what we do on Fridays, and that's lighten up and take a look at the lighter side of the news. So we're looking forward to that. Also want to remind you that this weekend begins tonight for the Singing Christmas Tree, the final week of performances with a performance tonight at 730 at the Keller Auditorium, again tomorrow night at 730. And then on Saturday, a matinee at 2, an evening performance at 7, and it all ends on Sunday with a 1 o'clock uh, matinee performance, again, at the Keller Auditorium. For tickets, you can go to singingchristmastree.org, or you can call the Singing Christmas Tree office at 503-557-8733. 503-557-8733. I want to thank James Blend for engineering and producing today's program, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night.
0: Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast.